0: I'd like to commence this evening for the next several Sunday evenings at least uh, to bring to you a series of messages about the promises of God. Made many promises. Lots of people make promises. Promises are easy to make and some people find that it's very, very easy to make them and very difficult to keep them. So for our effort this evening, we'll do a cursory uh, review of some of the scripture verses that ensure and guarantee to us that God not only is capable of making the promises, but will absolutely meet them. I think it's important because it's the nature of our race, of, our race, to to think of God more as a superior person rather than as the supreme creator. Uh, that kind of idea is couched in language that we hear used often when God is often referred to as the man upstairs or something like that, or the big guy up there, those kinds of foolish references to God. But the fact is that that is human nature. It's very difficult. In fact, it's impossible for our mortal finite minds to comprehend God. How do you comprehend infinity when we ourselves are finite? The first thing that we need to understand about God and his Ability, not simply his ability, his guarantee that he will meet every promise that he has made, has to be based upon his character. Character is a very important thing. Uh, We need to understand the character of God. Sometimes theologians like to call those characteristics his attributes, but I'm not referring primarily to the doctrinal attributes of God. I'm referring to his character, the Uh, The things about him that, if they could be translated and transferred to someone that you know here in mortality, uh, you would be, you'd want him to be president of the world. You you would want that person to be in charge of everything they could possibly touch. You'd want him for your husband, you'd want him for your brother, you'd want him For your boss you'd want him for your congressman you'd want him you'd want him for everything is because god's character is absolutely perfect in every way which means and this is where i'd like you to turn i'd like you to turn to malachi the third chapter and there's only one sentence here that i'd like to read which we shall use as the springboard text for our discussion this evening like for you to follow with me as we read one sentence one phrase the first phrase from the 6th verse of Malachi chapter 3 upon this statement hinges all of the guarantees that of the promises that God makes to us I am the Lord I change not let's pray father our God in heaven, we we love you. We, we ask that our love for you would, would grow in breadth as well as in depth. And that our understanding and knowledge of you would grow likewise with our love of you. We do not desire to live our lives in ignorance of all that you are, and I pray, Father, that your Spirit would teach us of your very self. But for this evening, grant to us that we would understand and have assurance in our minds and in our hearts that those things which have been promised to your people are assured. Because you don't change, I pray in Christ's name, Amen. Peter wrote. And in fact, would you turn to it? I, I think we ought to read this as well. And these, 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 that sentence and these verses here will set the stage for our future discussions as well. Second Peter, the first chapter. We'll read starting with verse 3, or verses 3 and 4. Now we'll start with 2. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, by which are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through desire. The Bible is replete with promises that God has made. For example, a promise. There's a lot of promises. We think of promises as, as wonderful things that will benefit us, and that's true. All these promises, uh, most of the promises in the Bible are wonderful things which will benefit us. But, but sometimes the promises of God are just are statements that he makes which ensure his justice. For example, he says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, which, which, which means simply that, that no injustice shall go unpunished and certainly will never go unnoticed. God. That's a promise. The only way, and I take solace in that, by the way. I, I think that's, while the promise is, is, is made to those who are violators of his holiness, the fact is that I, I, take, I take comfort in it. I, it's nice to know, and, I, and I'm glad to know, and, and, and I'm resting a little easier knowing that, that every unjust, illegal, unfair, unkind action that has been taken against every child of God from the beginning of time until now will, read, will receive its just recompense of its, the just recompense of its reward it's, it's nice to know that in spite of the failures of, of human nature and failures of the systems that we live under the judicial as well as the, as the legal system It's nice to know that in spite of all of those things, in spite of all the injustice that we see about us, that justice will ultimately be served, and that's a promise from God. And I like that promise. It's promise is really of no value, however, if God doesn't execute it, if he changes his mind, if something happens to him to change his character. That's why we need to understand what God says about himself and the... And, and the most important thing that God says about himself is that, that he doesn't change. What this particular passage in 1 in Peter tells us is that he has given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises, which we will investigate over the next several Sunday evenings. And it's by these promises, then through these promises, that those who are in Christ are partakers of his nature and have escaped the corruption of the world. We live in hope, and after all, that's what promises are. Promises are given to people, us, people like us, to give us hope. If if hope is taken away, if, if all there is is get through this life the best way you can, be as good as you can, follow the example of Christ as much as you can, and at the end of it at the end of it if you do enough things right maybe when you die you won't go to hell you'll escape that, that that's not there's no hope there what kind would, would, would you like to live your life under that kind of a promise that's no promise that's there's no hope there promises are designed to give hope The other factors, I think, that we need to understand about the ability of God to keep his word to, uh, the unchangeableness of God is is the basic aspect of the character of God upon which we plant our hope, all of our hope, every bit of it. Two things. It doesn't change, that's the first thing. He will never change. That means he will never lie because... If you want to know and experience change, then pick a liar for your best friend. and You'll experience change all the time, and and that's not all you'll experience. You'll experience constant uncertainty and ultimately distrust. So God never changes, and he never lies. He, he, He keeps his character, and he keeps his word. And the two are inseparable, really, when you consider it and stop to think about it. He says in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, it is said of God, and God speaks himself. He says, I am the same. I was the same yesterday. I am the same today as I was yesterday. And I will be the same tomorrow as I am today. In fact, I am the same forever. Yesterday, today, and forever. I am the same. I change not. The Old Testament saints especially, and I think probably... While it is true that we have a lot of characters introduced to us in the New Testament scriptures, uh, the most colorful ones, at least most of the most colorful ones are Old Testament people. The Old Testament characters and the accounts of some of their lives are fascinating. In fact, it's the stuff that children's Bible stories are made of. You you look at children's Bible stories and you'll find that most of them are centered around the events of people who lived the Old Testament economy. And it was they who knew. And while they did not have the same language that we do in terms of the revelation that God has given to us uh, as opposed to the revelation which they received, because remember when we spoke this morning, we talked about Old Testament uh, uh, revelation about Jesus Christ being clouded by and, 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 and obscured by... Prophetic utterances, and so all the references to Christ in the Old Testament are are, are obscure. Some more obscure than other, but others, but but in terms of it's it the truth which is revealed in the New Testament, they're relatively obscure. And yet these people who lived under the obscurity of these promises, and yet nevertheless had hope, uh, rested their hope upon God because. They knew him as, as not simply a stronger, superior person. Or as some people like to refer to today as the supreme being, which is better than the man upstairs, I suppose. But, but they 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 talked about God in terms that, while they could recognize the greatness of God in terms which they could understand. And it's very important that we know and and realize that that the language of the Bible is God speaking to define himself. But, of course, when he speaks to define himself, he's got to speak in words that we can comprehend, and in phrases and expressions that, that will penetrate our, the degree of our intelligence. He, God doesn't speak to us in God language, because God language would be unintelligible to us be beyond us the infinite mind of god certainly is not going to uh, uh, be conveyed with infinite language it's got to be conveyed to us in in man speak in human language in human expressions so you, you take the men and women of the old testament uh, who were trusting god they used expressions like the lord is my rock to them, a huge rock is something that never changed. Or the Lord is my fortress. To them, a fortress, in the context of the language in which they used it, were, was something that was impenetrable, a place of safety. And they often couple that with the Lord is my deliverer. In fact, the 18th Psalm says exactly that. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer. David said that. David was a very successful king, but he did not have, at least in human terms, a successful life. One would not like to duplicate the family life of David. David knew what it was to be betrayed in his own family. And that's the most bitter kind of betrayal of all, is to be betrayed by someone who's very close to you and whom you love. And he was betrayed that way. And and, and in spite of all of that, David was able to say and had his comfort in the promise that God gave to him. And he said, I, I will encompass you. I will surround you. I will be under you. I will be over you. I am your rock. You can hide in me like a cleft of a rock. You can count on me as being your fortress. I will protect you from your enemies. I am the safe shelter for you. I never change. It's very important that we know that God never changes. David also said, blessed is my rock. God is a, he's a blessed God. He's a God of Compassion, a God who gives, and a God who cares. The very best thing that we can have is a God who loves, who gives, who cares, and who doesn't change. That means that if he loves you and gives to you and cares for you right now, at this very moment, he will love you and give to you and care for you just as much without an iota of change tomorrow, the same way as today. And up to the moment that you breathe your last breath and your heart beats its last beat and your brain produces its last electrical impulse. That's his promise. He, and the promise is good because, because he's good. The promise is good because he won't change. The, the, the theological term for the unchangeableness of God is that he is immutable. We understand what mutations are. Those of us who know very little about biology, we, we recognize that within a species there have been mutations and will continue to be mutations, that is, changes. Adaptability within a species itself. Adapting within the species but never changing enough so as to change to another species. So, and, and that's the whole principle of, of, uh, of life. Uh, you look at the human race and you can see the 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 result of of mutations of slight changes variations within the race itself black yellow skin white skin light skin dark skin tight dark hair flowing blonde hair that is not tightly connected together and and, and all the other things that go to make us adaptable to the environment in which we live But, but god doesn't mutate there's no mutations within god there's not a how does the scripture say it? There's not a shadow of change. Not a shadow. Not the slightest variance in him. He is totally, absolutely, completely reliable, which makes him a great God and one in whom we can place our trust. I have a couple of psalms I'd like to read to you. In times of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. And he shall set me upon a rock. I marvel that David so often used rock as a, as a symbol of the great immutability of God. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ used the same and a simile. You may recall when he was preaching his, and teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and he was talking about where people should put their confidence and where they should put their trust. He said, everybody builds something. We, we, we build our lives, build our hopes, build our dreams, build our careers, build our families. We're always, in our lifetime, building up things within our lifetime. And the Lord, He said, there there are two kinds of people in this world the kind that recognize the value of the rock and those who don't. He said, a a foolish man would build his dream, his house, upon the sand. And the, the rains would come and the winds would blow they'd beat upon the house, the waters would rise, the sand would erode, the wind would blow, the house would collapse, and great would be its fall, because the man who built that house upon the sand was a fool. He said, but on the other hand, there's a man who is wise who would build his house upon the rock, and same circumstances would happen, identical, identical circumstances. The rain would come, the winds would blow, Floods would rise. They would lap at the rock. They would blow at the house. But it would hold. It wouldn't collapse because it was built upon a rock. And the Lord used that, that analogy to teach us that the rock, our God, who never changes, is totally reliable in the identical set of circumstances that someone who does not trust in the unchangeableness of God, the very same set of circumstances, one will stand and endure and have victory and the other will fall. All because the trust is placed upon the wrong thing or in the wrong direction. A little anecdote have any of you heard of Carrie Ten Boom? Have you ever heard that name? Carrie Ten Boom was a... a uh, she and her sister, I, I don't recall her sister's name, but they were Dutch women during World War II. And uh, Carrie was the youngest of the two sisters. or Her sister was older. And they were Christians. And they hid Jews from the Nazis during World War II. Ultimately she was apprehended and was sent to a a death camp herself and she survived it. It was near the end of the war and she survived it. But she wrote the story about an experience she had during the war in her home. It was during a time that the American, well the Allied forces, that would be the British and American, primarily the American forces were overflying Holland on their way to bomb Germany and the Germans had set up anti-aircraft batteries in in her native land and they'd be firing upon these planes as they were passing over overnight and one night uh, they were firing they weren't bombing Holland they were bombing on their way to Germany and one night the 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 planes were roaring overhead and the anti-aircraft artillery was firing at them and and she wasn't able to sleep and she'd heard she heard her sister downstairs in the kitchen preparing something and she thought she would get up and and have some tea with her and so she went downstairs and, and the bombing, uh, the adding aircraft artillery continued to fire and, and, uh, and it quieted down. The, the air, the bombers had stopped flying over and it quieted down. She went back upstairs to, uh, to her bed and she, in the darkness, she patted her pillow and she cut her hand upon something and what was laying in the middle of her pillow was a 10-inch piece of shrapnel, which obviously would have killed her had she had her head on the pillow. And so she went downstairs and took the shrapnel with her, and her sister was bandaging up her cut hand. And she was complaining to her sister that if, if she hadn't come down for that, for that cup of tea, she would be dead. And she said, her sister said to her, Well, Carrie, there are no ifs in God's will. And we need to learn that the center of his will is our safest place. And she said that when she was arrested and taken to concentration camp, she remembered that, and she wrote, "God's will is my hiding place. If were not he willing that I be here and ordained that I come here, I would be elsewhere." I hide and rest upon my rock because I am the center, in the center of it. His will is my hiding place. And you know that when one learns the strength of our great God, who is our Savior, and understands how good and kind and thoughtful and preserving He is, one can have comfort no matter where He is or what has happened we have not been called simply to survive we've been called to victory and we have victory in the knowledge of our god hallelujah he never changes he is the same yesterday today and forever let's pray father grant to us